Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Ruth, uh, first, one, first chapter, 15 through 21st verse. Listen for what God is saying to you. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your, turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you. I turn back from following after you. Whether you go, I will go. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and more so, sorry. May the Lord do this to me and more so if, even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. So both of them went along until they arrived at Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was excited on account of them. And the women of the town said, can this be Naomi? She replied to them, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara for the almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has returned me empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has deemed me guilty? May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together on um, days like this and any other day, really, um, to, to pause in our lives and meditate on who it is that you are calling us to be, who you are in this world, how we can um, more fully live into those people you've created us to be, and um, how we might be instruments of helping others do the same. And so we ask that um, as we lean into your scripture today, that uh, your spirit would clear away the clutter of our minds and help us to be present in this space, to listen deeply to what it is that you're trying to say to us, and to be people of courage as we allow ourselves to be transformed by what it does within us. We give you thanks for the opportunity to once again come into your presence. And we pray that we would not squander it, but that it would be an opportunity for us to see ourselves transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our passage for today, Naomi finds herself in a situation um, that she couldn't have ever fathomed. She has fought and scraped and leaned into life's challenges at every turn. She endured displacement, leaving her hometown of Bethlehem as an economic refugee. She relocated to a foreign land, Moab, um, one that is especially despised by her people. She began building a new life with her partner, Elimelech, only to, find that he, only to have him die a few years later. And she was left to raise her two sons on her own. Now, these sons grew up got married, and then they died 10 years later. So this first chapter kind of makes you feel like it's all teed up to be a kind of tale of religious morality, and I told you so. 
To the judgy Hebrew reading this story at this point, they'd be sucking their teeth and saying, well, because throughout scripture, Israel is constantly being told to have nothing to do with the Moabites. In Deuteronomy, God says Moabites can't belong to the Lord's assembly, not even to the 10th generation. Military leaders viewed Moabites as enemies and Moab as enemy territory. And then the people of Israel are explicitly warned against intermarrying with Moabites, calling them detestable and unfaithful. So the judgy McJudgerson reading this story would be thinking Naomi got what she deserved, right? Like, not only did she raise her sons among these detestable people, she allowed them to intermarry. And she did all of this after having abandoned her people in a time of economic crisis. But if you view her through another lens, right, if you've been through some stuff, you'll look at Naomi and see a survivor. She did what she had to do when her husband, because let's be honest, it was mostly his decision, uh, that when he made the choice to leave their homeland. And she raised her boys as best as she could. And I think, and this I think is the most key piece, she stayed deeply committed to the principles of her faith, even if there wasn't a community that she could practice it in. Scripture doesn't mention this explicitly, but our passage for today illustrates why I believe that this is so. Now, if you know anything about ancient Jewish culture, which I know you all do, um, you'll know that as a woman, to have something like all of these things happen to you, like that's a wrap, right? When you have no men in your life, you have no economic stream, and you are basically out cold. This is why there is such an emphasis um, throughout scripture on, um, on systemic community care for the widows and the orphans in Jewish law. Everything about the economic system depends on a patriarch. And so if the patriarch fails, it's up to their family, and at the very least, the community at large to step in and kind of be that safety net to take care of the orphans and the widows. But here's the thing. There's no safety net for Naomi. She left her people, right? She's in a land that is not her own, and all she has left are these two younger women that she's responsible for but has really nothing to offer to them. Twice before this passage, Naomi has urged her daughters-in-law to leave her as she heads back to Bethlehem. The first time, she kind of tries to bless them out of the relationship, to kind of give them a gracious out, releasing them from their marriage laws or marriage responsibilities. She says, may the Lord deal faithfully with you. May the Lord provide for you so that you might find security. But these women refuse. So she tries a more pragmatic approach. Turn back, she says. Go. I am too old for a husband. If I were to stay, say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, even more if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? And here Ruth is talking about that safety net of sorts in the Jewish community, how if a man dies and leaves his wife childless, it's up to his brother to step in and kind of do the deed, right? So listen, Naomi says, it is ridiculous to hope for that, right? A, I'm getting to be too old to have enough time to marry and give birth and raise two sons. And B, that's a ridiculous amount of time for you to wait. You've got life to live, right? So just go. And it's in this moment when we hear Naomi's despair, She's been a fighter. She's been a survivor. But here now, she's done. She says, the Lord's will has come out against me. And she has given up hope. Now, Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, gives in. She accepts this reality. You know what? You're right. And leaves to begin figuring out how to write her next chapter. But Ruth, Ruth won't budge. And it's in Ruth where I see this evidence of Naomi's faith. 
And I mentioned this passage last week, but today I'll kind of unpack it a little bit more. Here, Ruth doesn't just stay put. She digs in as deeply as she can in her relationship with Naomi. She makes a covenant, a new set of marriage vows of sorts, right, that, that scholars say is even greater than Abraham's covenant to God. Abraham followed God because God promised him longevity and lineage. But Ruth, she was promised nothing from God or from Naomi. In fact, by all evidence, the only thing she has to look forward to is hardship, poverty, and marginalization. There was something about Naomi. There was something about being with Naomi that for Ruth was worth any prospective pain. There was something in Naomi that was so powerful and life-giving and deep that Ruth was willing to sacrifice everything that had shaped her life, right? She was ready to walk away from her God, her people, and her ancestral lands. Her loving kindness, the, the deep and abiding loyalty that Ruth had for Naomi, there is a word for this in Hebrew, hesed. Hesed is the central character of God and the expectation of God's people. We do what we do for one another in our family, our tribe, our community, because it is hesed. At its first level definition, hesed is about obligation, right? Our obligation to be a good sister, brother, wife, husband, daughter, son, cousin, grandparent. Hesed is at the very base, familial obligation. You know, that cousin you don't really want to take in, but you have to, right? <laughs> That's hesed, right? But layered over this, though, true hesed um, is, is something more than that kind of black and white of the family contract. Hesed is about loving kindness, too and loyalty. It's about showing up, sticking through, and standing with. But hesed doesn't come easily, nor does it come naturally, right, to most of us anyway. It demands kind of a conscious effort because you have to sort of override your reflexes of self-preservation. Hesed requires a kind of other-centeredness that is incredibly underdeveloped in our culture, a kind of sacrificial self-giving that isn't toxic or self-degrading. But instead, it kind of comes from this place of love and gratitude. It preserves your self-dignity. Sometimes it feels like in our culture, you're either a doormat or a bully, right? Um, it's, a, it's about preserving your self-dignity, but also giving out to others. Hesed is what it means to be a good friend. Ruth understood this. She embraced it, and she embodied it. And this, to my point earlier, this is the evidence, I think, of Naomi's faith. Somehow... Over the 10 years of life together, I am certain Naomi demonstrated a powerful kind of hesed to her daughter-in-law. How else would Ruth know about this? Why else would Ruth feel so passionately about it? Ruth's husband was dead. There was nothing to keep her there. She had fulfilled her vows. But she remained at Naomi's side. And, and when Naomi tells Ruth to leave, Ruth says, don't urge me to abandon you. So Ruth makes this other vow, right? And she will not abandon Naomi and declares her loyalty to Naomi, her people, and Naomi's God. This, this, kind of, this non-Jewish woman has learned enough about her fam husband's family practices and belief that she makes a covenant of the same caliber as the founder of the Jewish tradition. And it's at this point, then, when Naomi falls silent. It's like, it's like when your kids learned your lesson that you were trying to teach them too well, so they put it back in your face, right? So Naomi has no way to kind of refute what uh, Ruth is saying. She has no more fight, and she also has no more faith. 
But here, in her lowest moment, stands a kind of a freshly minted convert who has faith enough for both of them. Now, our modern culture loves to portray the strong, independent individual, right? The person who confidently, defiantly proclaims, I'm not here to make friends. In fact, I looked on YouTube to see if I could find some examples of this, and let me tell you, YouTube did not disappoint, right? I came across a video that stitched together 68 instances of reality show contestants saying some version of that line, I'm not here to make friends, in the year 2014 alone. <laughs> and many of them, they're saying this, and I'm like, I don't think you believe what you're saying, because look at this woman. And I don't care if I make friends. It's not my main goal for being here, is not to make friends. Mm -hmm. It's to win the competition. So there, this, is, this is like one of, the, one of the snippets. There she is. She has like tears streaming down her face, right? Insisting, I'm not here to make friends, right? But she's hurting, right? She's struggling. She really needs a friend, actually. Lord, help us before we hurt ourselves, right? Now, in a way, this is what Naomi was. Leave me. I'm not here to make friends. Go. Get out of here. Make another life. I don't need you. But Ruth would have none of that. I'm here, and there's nothing you can do about it. Isn't it good to have friends like that? Yes. Who cut through that? Amen. Have you ever been Naomi? Have you ever been wounded, full of despair and pain, dealt a bad hand, or just exhausted by life and the demands that it makes? How many of us at some point felt some kind of way about how life didn't turn out the way we hoped? feeling embarrassed, maybe even worthless because of it? Let's be honest here. We feel it, if only for a fleeting moment, because that's what we're told when we're not coming out on top. Those are what the messages and the pressure to perform mirror back to us. But we are not worthless. We are not trash. And just because life isn't working out the way we'd like, it doesn't mean that God is done with us. It's in times like these when we need people like Ruth in our lives to remind us that God ain't done with us yet. And so, as a faith community that seeks to be God's voice in the world, it is essential that we practice cultivating hesed in our community. Now, I talked about this last week, that this is what baptism is supposed to do. It's what membership is designed for. But we have to go beyond the walls of the church to create opportunities for others to experience and cultivate hesed. And at UBC, we're trying to do both of these. Now, internally, it, this looks like small groups and intentional relationships, discipleship, right? as well as leadership and service teams. But also now we have a really exciting opportunity that has opened up for us. About a month ago, UVC received a grant to support young adult initiatives. And this grant is specifically for the purpose of creating space and opportunities for Christian-informed friendship to be nurtured, for chesed to be cultivated. So beginning in a few weeks and over the course of the year, UVCers will have the opportunity to submit a request for up to $500 um, for a proposal that has the goal of gathering folks to get a taste of Christian community. Now, there are some guidelines. First, it has, you have to have a minimum of eight gatherings. So these gatherings must happen eight times. And because the grant is aimed at young adults, there's an expectation that the majority of the people who will benefit or participate in your activity are between 20 to 30 years old. And I want to be clear that this is the funder's rule. This is not our rule. 
And then uh, next, these shouldn't be churchy gatherings. So it's not for worship or Bible study groups, uh, not because we're against that, right, but because we want folks to stretch and reach out to create spaces for those who might run in the opposite direction at any mention of church, right? We want to create spaces where people can get a taste of loving community that is with you and for you, the kind of community that we're trying to cultivate here. And so for that reason, there's a stipulation that there are no more than UVCers who, who are part of your group, three UVCers who are part of this group. So an example of this might look like something I heard from Juan Pablo, actually. Um, he's part of a line dancing group that meets regularly. And over time, this group has become more than just a fabulously costume-coordinated um, guys dancing at country line dancing bars. It's become a group where folks feel safe enough to share what they're going through, where they experience love and support among one another in powerful ways. Now, most of these guys don't go to church, but they've come to know something about what it means to journey with one another. And Juan Pablo's presence has brought another dimension, I think. Sometimes uh, Juan Pablo would uh, offer words of encouragement at the top of rehearsal, and this even pr prompted one team member um, to ask Juan Pablo if he'd be willing to do this more regularly. These folks may or may not ever come to church, but church isn't the point exactly, although we, we welcome people, right? The point, the spirit of the grant, is about increasing connection, care, and maybe even purpose in who people are. It's about organic spaces of hesed quality friendship, connections, and possibilities to grow. So I would really encourage you to really think creatively. It might be karaoke for peace with an ensemble of folks um, from your neighborhood, right? Eight times throughout the summer. Um, it, could be, uh, it could be a a line dancing group, or it could be a series of dinner parties, something um, that gets people feeling connected to one another in a deeper way. So if you're interested in exploring the possibilities of this grant, I really encourage you to make time to attend a really special UVC-specific gathering on August 25th at 9 a.m. It's from 9 to noon. We'll meet with folks from an organization called Fresh Expressions who are exploring new ways for people to engage faith and community. This should give you lots of ideas for thinking through your proposal and a great way to kind of peek into to the new ways that God is giving, um, creating life, giving love in new and imaginative ways. Another option, of course, is this Young Adult Initiative Conference that we mentioned earlier um, during the announcements. Showing up for one another, walking with one another, these can feel rare in life, even in church, right? But they're essential, not just in maintaining our humanity, but also to usher in something new that God might be wanting to do through you. Now, if you read through the end of the book of Ruth, you'll see that both Ruth and Naomi experience a kind of powerful redemption and renewal at, at a level that they could hardly dare to imagine, especially at the beginning of the book. But beyond that, actually, if you skip forward several centuries, you'll see something even more powerful. In the first chapter of Matthew, in Jesus' genealogy, whose name do we see? Ruth. Ruth becomes part of Jesus' lineage. Now, as Christians, as followers in the way of Jesus, as inheritors of Jesus' faith, which was inherited from Ruth's faith. We are equipped. We are a part of this incredible lineage to demonstrate something different. And just because you weren't part of the family to begin with, right? Remember, Ruth was a foreigner. It doesn't mean you don't have a role to play. 
we can be Ruth to one another. We can cultivate Hesed community. It doesn't matter what your past looks like because your future is still ahead of you. When we find ourselves in a Naomi season, we can experience the deep sense of belonging that comes with knowing there are others who are committed to walking with us because we have cultivated that space. And in the midst of all that, we might even find ourselves participating in something much more powerful than we could have imagined for ourselves. Isn't that a tremendous opportunity? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the ways that you redeem us that you redeem our painful past, that you don't allow what has happened to us or even what we have done to dictate who we can be and what we can do in the world, not only for ourselves, but for one another. Help us, God, to create spaces where chesed can be abundant. Help us to be Ruth to the Naomi's in our lives and in our Naomi moments, help us to be surrounded by Ruth's who will join us, who will stand with us, who will walk through the tough things with us, even when we um, reject them, even when we are doing the ugly cry. Help us to be people who can know your love through one another and to be that love for others in any and every way you call us to be. We thank you that you invite us into that work, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.